Welcome to the APL Next Ed Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL Next Ed, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests. All right. Well, we're ready to hear the final thoughts of our guest today who has been talking to us uh, in the first podcast about terrific practical initiatives that she has used to create greater support for diverse faculty, staff, and administration at Purdue University. If you haven't had a chance to tune into the first half of this conversation, I encourage you to do so. Now let's continue with hearing terrific insights from from our guest today, Mangala. Can you speak a little bit about the very specific things that you have done, either that stemmed out of your own experience or that you heard uh, those coming to the center suggesting, um, I know you, you did the first year of these conversations, uh, the second year you started to hone in on some specific groups. What, what sorts of thing COVID I know that during COVID you were doing sort of very practical, almost like emotional triage with, with faculty to support them. If you would share with the audience, some of the specific things that you've done to, again, put some feet under this initiative, some feet under this priority uh, so that, you know, we're seeing action and outcomes, not just box checking. I mean, I would say in two parts, one part uh, seeing more, you know, formal initiatives that came out from the center that I put out. And the second part is this, a lot of one-on-one inclusive listening. Mm -hmm. And I use the term inclusive listening. I'm which is actually the name uh, our provost actually mentioned when I was describing to him um, these conversations with faculty members. So first one, on on the very formal side, some of the initiatives that have really helped, which has also come from partly from the listening, the inclusive listening is um, the coaching and resource network and my experience, uh, my experiences as a faculty member, you know, feeling isolated and people think you can just fix, oh, I can fix, we can fix this in this unit by um, having more uh, colloquia or we can have more social gatherings, the beginning of the semester, end of the semester, we could have a recognition party. I don't think that, in my opinion, those things don't resolve isolation. It's it's in the interactions, it's in the trying to understand somebody who's different um, and making possible these spaces where somebody's not the sole person, right? You're not the sole woman as it happens sometimes in some disciplines or you're not the sole woman of color in some departments. And, uh, and then you feel like, I don't know who I relate to um, mm-hmm. at, at any given level here. And there's no, there, there's no sense of wanting to try to understand somebody who's different. And when I say try to understand, I'm not saying you need to understand, know somebody's life history, right? Even, even the basics of, um, I, I keep saying this, uh, and, and I've had a lot of conversations with some of faculty members, on, uh, not just at Purdue, but even outside Purdue about this issue about expression expression of emotion 
or expressions of excitement or expressions of sadness or how one grieves and in private and, and so on. And they differ considerably across different groups of people. Even simply trying to understand or making sense of or finding out, I think there's very little effort, right? So I thought, and we keep talking about mentoring as uh, provide this for the assistant. Assistants and associates should do this. You know, they should have somebody who reads their grant proposals, who reads their draft articles, tells them where to send it, et cetera. So we are very narrowly focused on what we are thinking about the well-being of a faculty member. Mm-hmm. No, very relevant in today's time of the pandemic as well, right? right? And, and that this well-being uh, encompasses so many things which helps me to be productive, mm-hmm. right? The higher the satisfaction, this is a proven argument, and the higher the motivation, and then therefore higher the productivity. Right? And so the coaching and resource network actually came from that, thinking about providing for faculty members assistants and associates, especially this option to engage with a full professor who's been successful, made full professorship and help them navigate some of this. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, what I say, reduce the noise, the outside noise to allow me to move forward, right? And if I recall this program, these mentors are outside of their discipline. Yes, exactly. So they're outside of, we require that they should be outside their discipline. And sometimes we even encourage outside of the college, mm-hmm. try to not have someone in your college. So you can have a freer conversation right. about what's happening with you, what you're experiencing. And I'm sure you know this, Kathy, from your academic uh, career, that it's, sometimes it's so difficult to speak um, about issues people who are closer in your environment, right? right. Who, who may interpret it in different ways. And here you have a completely different interpretation from someone outside and someone enabling you to navigate and just being there for support. Right, right. The other thing it does is really, and, and the goal of the CRN is for the full professors to actually advocate for the assistants and associates. See, most of these full professors are serving on university level committees or are engaged in research and networks of different kinds across institutions. So helping or providing this platform for assistants and associates to connect, oh, you should be connecting with that person. You know, this institution is very large. Do you know that faculty member? I can introduce you, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that kind of networking, which women have actually not been very successful. We know this from scholarship and literature, right? What I call this is this very vertical, dyadic kind of a relationship between an assistant and or an associate with a full professor. But a lot of the full professors who serve on the CRN across disciplines, men, women, different racial, ethnic backgrounds have told me that it's helped them to learn too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also given them the chance to actually exchange their information, their experiences with an assistant or associate and what they did or what they did not do. Mm -hmm. I did not do this. And I would want you to take care of this now. Don't wait for it later. Right. And I think those have been and some of this is coming actually because of studies and progress about to assess the impact and the effectiveness of the CRN. And so some of this is really, I can glean this now as mm-hmm. the study is progressing. And at least two or three faculty members telling me, 
uh, this the announcement of the CRN came at um, this very opportune time when the faculty member was actually thinking of leaving, mm. um, le- leaving uh, the university and was looking at other options. And there comes the CRN and here's my opportunity to connect. And it actually made me stay mm. kind of thing. So this kind of sharing further kind of reinforces the need for this outside support, outside networking and enabling, right? At the same time, I do think institutions have to change. We can't keep changing people and having people navigate these systems or finding ways for them to navigate the system to to succeed, right? Or to get promoted and so on and be successful. How do we, that part of the institution practices or institutional change has to catch up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is what I would say. And, and coming back to the issue of diversity, the CRN itself is open to all assistants and associates, men and women. Mm-hmm. We've had more women and women of color access it. Mm-hmm. So what, what other kinds of things? I mean, we've talked about conversations. We've talked about this network, we've talked about being very specific and very calculated in um, making sure that that support is coming from somebody who may not have a tainted perspective because they're too close to it or they're on the inside. What other kinds of things are are, are you doing as a center? How ha- even doing with third party organizations like the ACE Women's Network? I mean, how are you sort of, again, doing practical things, experimenting with things, putting things out there based on your listening and based on your own experience that are leading to impact. You retained a faculty member, right? I mean, in the story you just told, what are some of the other things that you're doing? Certainly one is thinking about really handpicking workshops. Um, I've been spending quite a bit of time and of course, with the help of my staff, looking up what is relevant. Uh, you know, last year we had this interesting dialogue conversation about how you become a better leader when you invest in others. Mm. Um, this is a book by Sylvia Hewitt. And I had two people who were uh, kind of involved in a similar kind of, you know, mentoring relationship, bringing it to campus and having them, having these two people actually uh, from outside of academia, they are in, in the corporate sector, you know, and both of them had this interesting sharing in, during this conversation of this, how to kind of build your prodigy and not control the prodigy, but at least build your prodigy towards success, right? And it so fits in for academia, I thought. Mm-hmm. So the, the selection even of what, what I would like to bring or what's the kind of topic to connect to those on campus, I think has been critical. So this is one kind of a conversation. The other kinds of workshops were geared really towards faculty, how to raise your productivity, how to more usefully organize your time, or how to follow through on your projects and keep tab and track them. So really handpicking in some ways, what are the kinds of topics are needed how do I go access them outside and make it possible or available to faculty? But as I was doing this, I also thought I could use some part of my expertise and other faculty members' expertise to build things. So um, we created a content for, bi- uh, for a bias workshop 
last year. And we, uh, we piloted it in one department uh, at Purdue in fall of 2020. We did three iterations of the workshop in spring uh, for an entire college, mm-hmm. uh, one of our 13 colleges. And now uh, we are hoping to offer this as needed uh, for other units on campus or outside. We'll start offering this outside of the center soon, I'm hoping. And the other thing that we've done is create what people asked for an advanced gender-related uh, workshop. And then because we were doing this for faculty, the staff started I have started asking for it. So we actually just drafted one for the staff and we've got to finalize it to make that offering. We've also put together a leadership workshop. The content is just being created, a very basic module. Besides the workshops, we've done some unique panel sessions, I would say. One of, of course, the series, the town hall series for the, with the AC Women's Network that we collaborated last year for the pandemic, um, which I think was so geared towards mm-hmm. what people were experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how we were all trying to navigate this uncertainty and what was happening around us. And I thought those topics and the response, even members of the AC Women's Network who on these panels along with Purdue faculty were just amazing conversations, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they provided so much for people who attended to actually related uh, mm-hmm. to what was occurring, starting from leadership opportunities during that time and the challenges to, you know, what is happening to me and wellness um, of my own self, right? And self-care kind of issues. So I think that was very interesting. But there have also been other kinds of panel sessions that we've organized or we've been organizing. For instance, there was this great research being done around uh, how faculty engage in service work and women, it's very gendered, and how the service work then eats into the time that especially associate professors put into production offering, being productive with scholarship and in our institution that becomes critical for promotion. Uh, So really had an exciting panel session uh, from someone who uh, had worked on a project on an NSF grant and was I was able to bring them to campus to share, you know, what they had done, they had actually implemented this at their institution. So kind of using that, can we start thinking about implementing in our units? So that was one kind of a panel. Another one that's coming this fall, a panel session that we are doing internally is a mix of uh, unit heads and faculty. Mm-hmm. And we are actually providing vignettes. So the support circle faculty allies have created these vignettes of experiences cases. Mm-hmm. We are going to share this with the panel and have them respond and discuss and then open it up for conversation. Wow. That sounds really great. So those are the kind of thing you're talking about, the practical part, the real life experience, feeding Mm -hmm. them into the cases, both in the internal workshops we are creating, as well as into panel sessions like this, to make some leaders and even senior faculty think about what what others are experiencing. Are you conscious of it? And if you're conscious, how do you start addressing these issues, right? Uh, So some of that is, is occurring as well. I have to say the two conferences have been something that have been sought after, Uh, the Assistant Associate Professors Conference. The Associate Professors Conference is something that I started after I came in 
um, knowing fully well um, nationally, you know, uh, there are very few women associates. Uh, if you look at the U.S. across right. institutions, about 32 percent as of 2020, I think, uh, is what we have. And so we need to be doing much better as institutions of higher education. So that's been very much on my radar we opened it to outside Purdue for the first time um, this spring, 2021 uh, spring, and it was exciting to see the response. And again, even in those conferences, having panel sessions that are going to be helpful or are addressing the questions that faculty members bring to me one-on-one, right? Mm-hmm. They're often afraid to bring this in public. And the session at we had at the Associates Conference was about promotion. How mm-hmm. do I, you know, what do I do to get promoted to be a full professor? We had deans, we had heads, and we had some faculty members, and we had some very recently promoted fulls just a year back. It was an amazing conversation, right? Because you could really see some of the lows and some of the highs in terms of, you know, what is not, what one does not anticipate hearing. Uh, that I would need to do for promotion versus somebody saying, this is what I did, or this is what got me through. And then people sharing notes, oh, you got promoted on that. Is it possible for you to talk with me when the session is done, right? So I think even thinking about these sessions based on what faculty are telling me. Uh, For instance, even the support circle was formed. I created the support circle based on faculty, right? There's so many faculty members trying to talk with me through the first part of the pandemic it was, I said, we need something, we need something. And right. I kept thinking somebody will do it at the institution, <laughs> right? And I kept waiting until I said, no, probably nobody's going to do it. And then come fall 2020, August, I said, just announced it um, that I've put this together. I want to kind of conclude with something that maybe brings us full circle. And that is, there seem to be a lot of things that are happening, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's uh, accreditors beginning to look at outcomes related to diversity initiatives that are making this a compelling issue, making this a compelling priority. Uh, Certainly, I think you have raised the bar and you have, even on a national and maybe an international level, brought some practical life and perhaps, again, even greater attention to this concept that this isn't about checking a box. This is about providing opportunities for for growth, providing opportunities for support. And these are the things that are going to make the difference. These are the things that are going to allow us to retain and, and bring in groups that are different from one another so that we have the rich and robust learning environments that we should have. So I want you to just comment briefly uh, in conclusion on sort of where you see things going nationally as it relates to this issue and this recognition that this needs to be a priority that is addressed with very practical uh, solutions and that has very real resources uh, allocated to it. And to your point earlier, needs to be something sort of front and center for the leadership team. Where do you see this conversation going on a national level as someone who's been impactful in bringing this conversation to the point where we're talking in terms of practicalities and in terms of outcomes? 
I mean, I see both. I see optimism and I see um, myself not being so optimistic. On the optimism side, I would say the very fact that there's at least a recognition uh, to address diversity, right? Um, the first step or having a position dedicated uh, to address this issue, I think is a good positive step. Mm -hmm. I think where I've been less optimistic is action. Mm -hmm. and uh, the very slow pace of decision-making on issues, mm -hmm. right? Even if there's resistance, if we really wanted to do something, we could get, they're, they're always going to be naysayers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do we take those who are on board forward? And I think that's where I feel somewhat a little bit more, uh, less optimistic on the action part. Do we have goals in sight that we want to accomplish every year? And is it, is it only a goal on one issue or is it multiple issues? Because mm -hmm. a goals on a single issue is not going to take us very far. It's the goals on multiple issues. Along with those goals is accountability, mm -hmm. right? It's the transparency of how we want to create goals, what goals for action, and then the accountability for ensuring those goals are actually met. I think the issue in higher education is this accountability and transparency. Mm -hmm. And as long as we are, don't have both of those, uh, we are constantly going to struggle with uh, having these positions and having something on paper, but seeing less of action and so less likelihood of change. And that's going to be the hard part because institutions are investing in these positions and people and are wanting to get this together. And it's not just in, the, in people, right? The in investment in people, it's the time. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of institutions have created committees, uh, committees within uh, the institutions, task forces and so on. And it's people's time. Mm -hmm. And if we don't see um, these things moving forward, um, we are, we are going to kind of look back and think, oh my gosh, all of the time invested, right? I mean, even these committees and task forces, I say there should be transparency. Institutional mm -hmm. committees, if the committees have met once a semester, have a public forum within the institution or the campus, mm -hmm. you know, and that might help disseminate what is what conversations are occurring or what is moving forward to get everyone, at least majority of the campus on board. I think the lack of that transparency and then not holding people accountable ha can have um, very negative consequences despite all this investment. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that in some ways the institutions of higher learning are in the same position as industry outside of education is, and that is you're a service industry your service providers are the people who do the work of educating students and supporting the faculty who educate those students. And if those people can't be healthy and welcomed and grow at your institution, then you're not gonna have the best. And you're not gonna have, not only are you not gonna have the best, you're not gonna have the best environment or the best culture because you're not going to have 
people who are going to bring difference and who are going to create, again, what is that sort of foundational principle in higher education, Western higher education, at least, which is this idea that it's through dialogue with diverse perspectives that, that, that you find the truth. And so, you know, it seems to me without being overly dramatic, that this really cuts to the mission of an individual institution, but also the meaning of higher education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the word dialogue, right? The, the, the notion of dialogue and conversation as being uh, multiple paths, right? Having multiple mm-hmm. paths and, and not the single top down or bottom up or, um, and, and trying to kind of come to terms with the complexity of it. It's not easy, but that's right. why people are in leadership positions, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, Mangala, uh, you know, you're one of my heroes. You have made such an impact over the last few years. I've been so fortunate to know you as you've come into this role and and found terrific ways to serve your community and to serve your faculty and your staff. It's been a pleasure to hear the very practical things that you're doing, to hear your perspectives and to uh, sort of put out there a warning, if you will, to leadership that there's more to this than, than just sort of um, making proclamations or hiring somebody to a role. It's really about being willing to not only allocate resources, but to create goals and to make folks accountable for outcomes. And, you know, perhaps again, this goes to ultimate, the ultimate health of the institution. And that's an imperative that higher education leaderships can't afford to ignore. So thank you for the work that you're doing to bring uh, these issues to national and international attention. We are all going to look for your book. And uh, there are lots of videos and articles and Mangala is recently the recipient of two awards uh, for the work that she's been doing. So all of that will be available in the speaker notes uh, associated with this podcast. So look for those. And uh, I'm hoping we'll have future conversations where you can come back and and share more more of your terrific insights. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Kathy. So appreciate your friendship. I'm equally so happy to see that we met and we had had this uh, great conversation going actually the past more than two years now. Also very grateful to the institution for, you know, giving me the space to do the work. Uh, Great colleagues, great faculty who invest their time in my initiatives. Without them, uh, I couldn't be running them. And great colleagues at the AC Women's Network of Indiana, Uh, It's an amazing group of women, you know, and Kathy, you're so responsible uh, for bringing us together and and creating that. I don't think this would have happened. That network would have happened without you. So thank you so much. Well, you're kind. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL Next Ed Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL Next Ed Minipod is brought to you by APL Next Ed, the leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL Next Ed is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit aplnexted.com.